0: Pamela Ayres is a USA Today bestselling author of contemporary and historical romance, and she's on Binge Reading today talking about her latest book in the very popular Tavernese series, Love Thief. One reviewer said of Love Thief, it's the perfect blend of mystery, passion, and life-changing romance. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free e-book and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and on Binge Reading Today Pamela talks about writing eco-romance, her career as a broadcaster and environmental filmmaker, her passion for protecting wild animal habitats and marriage to an American League all-star footballer. All themes that turn up in her suspenseful romance. We've got historical crime mysteries as our free book offer this week download some great new books on the website thejoysofbingereading.com and this week we'll also be posting the new encore episode that's a new feature we're running authors who've already been on the show return to talk about their latest book this month Chuck Greaves talks about the new Jack McTaggart mystery. A twisty, plotted LA story that goes behind the scenes in Hollywood nightlife. Don't forget, you can hear Pamela on five quick fire questions. Patreon only bonus content by supporting the show on Patreon for as little as a cup of coffee a month. Details at Patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. That's Patreon with a E -E P-A-T-R-E-O-N But now here's Pamela Hello there Pamela and welcome to the show, it's great to have you with us
1: Thank you Jenny, it's great to be with you
0: Look I've been a fan for a long time and we've been kind of talking about doing this for ages so it's great to finally get together. You write contemporary romance, romantic suspense and women's fiction and now historical romance as well but your most recent one in your biggest series, I think, is the Tavanese series and it's The Love Thief and it's book 11. It combines all of the elements that make this series so popular, heavy hitters in baseball and other cultural darlings doing their thing, exciting things. There's a very strong sense of environmental concerns too. Tell us first, how did you get to write the Tavaneses and romance in general?
1: I had a uh, seven-year national public radio series and that followed a career in working with protecting wild animal habitat. Most of my life, I've worked on getting people to protect habitats in their local areas or at national policy levels. And after my radio series, I started to produce and direct and write environmental films. And after a while, with the PBS audiences, the public television audiences in the U.S. I felt like those audiences were very small and basically like preaching to the choir, the same group of people. And I wondered about, since I already had this experience in working in uh, narrative structure, I wondered about taking some of these documentaries and some of these issues and putting them into really scintillating, sensual, suspenseful, mysterious romance novels to reach a broader audience, in particular women in the heartland in America, who weren't really getting any of this information. Um, Obviously, with climate change, sometimes the conversation has become a little bit stronger, but still at the base level of understanding the issues, the information wasn't getting there. And most of the books in the Tabanese series have a theme within them. It might be pollinators, like why are bees important? And people didn't understand that 30% of their breakfast wouldn't even be there if it weren't for bees and so one of the books has a beekeeper in it yeah sure they're hot alpha heroes and sometimes for example in first book of the tabanazi series love bats last you have a baseball star Who is also has inherited a vineyard and is working on growing an organic vineyard in the midst of this massive career. So that was how it got started.
0: That's fantastic. And and I know that we were going to talk about this a little later, but because you've introduced that uh, baseball hero right at the beginning, I think you married something like a baseball hero yourself, didn't you?
1: (laughs) Something like. He's a 13-year... 13-year American League all-star. And so I had a great source right from the beginning and, and a deep... One of the things I love about these books, and one of the things I love when I get responses from readers who are baseball fans is their response when they say, oh, I've never seen the game from the inside out. I've never understood the nuances. For example, people don't know that baseball is one of the fastest games In the world, as far as response time, it's a couple milliseconds to hit a 90 mile an hour, 100 mile an hour fastball. The only sports that are faster are, believe it or not, ping pong, fencing, and tennis. Gosh. Which are quite, you know, you think, wow, I didn't even think about ping pong, my goodness. But, um, it was quite funny because sometimes at breakfast, Bruce and I would be discussing the books or discussing the plots. Or maybe I'd just be musing over my breakfast, like, oh, well, it's something about the game. And Bruce would be, are, are we talking about the books? Are we talking about real life? I mean, it was kind of, it was funny because he'd get lost. And I had to bring him back and say, oh, no, this is the character. This is Alex. This is Jackie. And he's been great about remembering the characters and helping me with the, the baseball.
0: That's fantastic. And in The Love Thief, you've also got baseball. But in this one, the heroine is setting up an elephant sanctuary. So you've done a wonderful job of combining these two elements of your own personal passions, haven't you? I mean, it must be really fun to be able to work in something where you feel so strongly about the, the themes of it.
1: It's been amazing. And and The Love Thief, one of the things I love about The Love Thief is it begins sort of a sub-series within the broader series about this group of women, very privileged women, called the Undercover Heiresses. And they have decided to group together and clandestinely take all of their resources and apply them to things that people are forgetting about or not paying attention to. And in this case, the heroine had been working in Africa and she saw the plight of the elephants. And there was an elephant that um, was going to be put down because no one in that small place could afford to feed it and give it medical treatment. And because her father was wealthy, she basically commandeered a private jet, took out all the seats and flew this elephant to a sanctuary in Sonoma County. Some of that is true. Uh, And the other thing I love about the love thief is the fact that the hero is also a hidden identity. He's on the outside, a technical wizard and runs a large tech company that, and a security company that's very incredibly profitable. But behind the scenes, he is going around stealing back artwork that was stolen by the Nazis and giving it back to the rightful owners by basically breaking and entering and leaving it in their house so that when they come back, there's this piece of art that once belonged to their grandfather. No one knows who he is. He's known as the gentleman thief. And these two cross paths. And so they both are hiding their underlying identities. And obviously, as the love story deepens, they begin to share some of these parts of themselves as they can open up. So it's it's kind of a fun way to enhance the dynamics between the prime couple. Yes. So you had Annie Seaton on your show and I was so thrilled to hear her talking about her work as an eco-romance author because in many ways my books are also eco-romance. I've just never actually labeled them as such and it was so uplifting to find out about Annie and her work.
0: That's fantastic. Yes, yeah, she, She's been on the show a couple of times and like you, she manages to thread in serious issues with just a genuinely engaging story. So it doesn't come across as being, you know, preachy at all. It's just natural part of life. It's, it's really great. And you do the same thing. So you've got quite a strong social justice theme in a number of the books as well. But you mentioned on your website this phrase that caught my eye. You say that you're really involved with and, and captivated by the transforming power of the universe that's a very deep concept could you tease out a little bit for us what that means to you the transforming power of the universe
1: <laughs> oh that's a long story it's a 13.13.8 billion year story but in a nutshell when i met my husband he was the director of, at a university of the Center for the Story of the Universe. And though I was uh, brought on board, I like to say he bought me. People say, how did you meet your husband? And I say, oh, he bought me. Because the president of the school basically offered my services without asking exactly. And uh, we began working together before we got married. And... I had a passion for the environment, but I didn't have this larger piece of the story. And basically, what the work consisted of was helping people to understand that over the time of the evolution of the universe, we are a, we are the universe becoming. At every moment, every being is the universe developing and becoming its next phase, which is a pretty wondrous thing when you think of yourself as in this moment i as a being and the universe taking its next steps and for people to see themselves as a 13.8 billion year event is a whole different perspective than just saying well my grandfather was this person or my grandmother when you when you really think that you came out of this evolution of progress within the universe. And for example, some people don't know that the iron in their blood came from the explosion of a supernova. The the basic elements of forming the earth came from a supernova explosion and the iron is conserved on earth. So the iron in your blood could have been in a dinosaur. When you die, even no matter how, whether you're cremated or buried or go to the eagles or whatever people do, that iron continues on in a lineage. That's a whole different perspective for people to get. And it gives a different perspective also to how you want to interact with your locality, your environment, your community.
0: That's amazing. Actually, I must admit, I didn't really understand that either. That is remarkable. Is he still doing that work? Has he written any books? Or <laughs>
1: There are books and films. We did about seven films I did for them. And there are a few books. Um, one of them is called The Universe Story, In the last year, we've sort of tailed it off a little bit, but our partner is finishing a three-part series called Supernovas for Breakfast.
0: Fantastic. Look, we'll get you to give me some links for those and we'll include them in the show notes because that's quite a fascinating little sideline. And in a very personal and domestic way, you've got a rural property that you're working together, I think. We've made mention of this once or twice when we've been trying to set a time. I mean, I remember once I tried to get you for a podcast and it was harvest time and it was very busy (laughs) on the farm. Tell us just a little about that because it does bring it right down to the very personal level,
1: doesn't it? Oh, yes. And I had lived in, I grew up in the tropics and I lived in Manhattan before I moved to the Bay Area of California. And we were living in a forest basically outside of San Francisco. He was running the Center for the Story of the Universe and I was working at the Marine Mammal Center and then the Academy of Sciences. And he was basically, well, what people don't understand is when these sports stars retire, they've usually been playing a game for almost all of their lives. And when they retire, it's like, well, what do I do now? And so there we were in this forest and he didn't, he was kind of listless. He'd take 30 mile bike rides or train up or do a few little piddly things around the forest, but there's not much you have to do around a forest. And so he found this property in Sonoma County, California, that used to be an old goat farm and it was all pasture. And we bought it and we've transformed it into orchards, a food garden, and six pollinator gardens to support monarchs, bees. All of the bumblebees, we have lots of species of bumblebees, various other butterflies besides the monarchs, the the swallowtails. So that, but, but the crazy thing is, before I moved here, I didn't know what a weed was. I know some people listening will be like, well, she's really been a sheltered life. But you never weed in the tropics, let me guarantee you. You wouldn't even think of it. it just, and you certainly don't weed in Manhattan. And so when I got here, everybody was mowing and talking about weeds. And I was like, why do these things that we don't plant grow so much better than the things that we do plant? And it took me a long time to understand that. And it's a huge process having this farm because it has seasons of its own and your life becomes basically tied to the natural forces and the natural seasons yeah, it's been, it, it, sometimes I think we bit off more than we can chew, but he, he loves it. And it gave me time and space to write this series. Yes, yeah. It, during, the, yes. during the down time.
0: Sounds magnificent to me, but I do appreciate it would be a great deal of work. Look, continuing on with your writing career, let's just... Hike back a bit to the beginning. I think you began with a book that had more of a fantasy element with it. It was called "Angels Come: The Angels Come to Earth" series, and. The first in the series was called, I think, The Angel Jane and the Archangel. Jane Austen and the Archangel. Oh, Jane Austen and the Archangel. That's right, yes. <laughs> there's, definitely right. A, there's a paranormal element here, I think. How did you so, start that? So
1: I yeah. was supposed to be starting this, this contemporary series with my editor. We moved in here. It wasn't a few weeks after we moved in here. And I started seeing this flash of light at the same time every day. And I was just mystified by what was causing this flash of light. And finally, I figured out it was the letter carrier's truck backing into our road because we're at the end of the road so that he could turn around and it was flashing off his windshield and into my house. But when I realized that in the very moment that I realized that, all of a sudden, Michael, the archangel, appeared to me in my imagination as a letter carrier undercover delivering these letters to Jane Austen from her friend who's in danger. And that's how that book got started. And in, within the book, Jane falls in love with Michael and has a love of her own, which I thought, oh, I'm really glad Jane had love before she died because she didn't have a very happy ending. And my editor was like, "What? you're going to write a paranormal story about an archangel that falls in love with Jane Austen." I was like, "Uh-huh, because it wasn't going to be put aside. And I'm sure other authors have told you this that characters show up, they start talking, and they get you by the neck, and they do not let go. And you either have to write it, or I don't know what you do if you, what, what people do if they don't write it. Maybe they go." berserk, but that's how that book started.
0: Were you a big Jane Austen fan before that happened? I mean, she must have been quite strong in your imagination.
1: I've always loved Jane Austen, first of all, because she really put women's fiction on the map in a way that, you know, back in the day when she was writing, and and my book covers some of the struggles that she faced as a woman author, that she's just exquisite, She's an exquisite author. They're wonderful love stories. One of the things I've discovered is that a woman started bought the the house that Jane Austen's brother lived in and turned it into a library and near the Jane Austen House Museum, and they discovered forty four thousand manuscripts by women writing at the same time as Jane Austen.
0: Wow, Stunning. that's remarkable. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I worked with the Jane Austen House Museum when I was putting Jane Austen and the Archangel together because I didn't want to get things wrong. I wanted to get the house right and the village right and have as most of the details in the book, except for the Archangel. And who knows, maybe there was an Archangel so that people reading it wouldn't be misled about the details of her life.
0: It's fantastic. Now you've you've ventured in a slightly different direction just recently with the Nature of Love series. That's a historical series set in Gold Rush, California, a time place to my own a place and time close to my own heart. And I think you've published the first of those series so far in The Lady and the Patriot. Tell us about that one. Why historical fiction?
1: Well. So that was the very first book that I started writing I was I decided to stop driving and take the the commuter bus that the Academy of Sciences had for the staff and anyone else could t- take this bus into the city and it was a long commute forty about forty five minutes it felt long and I had this great resource at the Academy of Sciences of all these incredible scientists. And I've always been interested in that time period in the 1850s when the Industrial Revolution began and how it shifted and changed society. So I started that book as my first book. And it's about an English heiress who wants more than to go to parties. And she basically flees to her wealthy aunts in Venice, where she's attacked by a Duke who wants to take over her life. And she wants to go to India and do a natural history of her own. Well, in order to save her, and I don't think I'm giving it away too much, an American friend of her brother's agrees to marry her and whisks her off and he's a Bostonian. But he has a ranch. His uncle dies, and there's a ranch in California. He takes off to California, leaving her in Boston because that's what you did back then. You didn't carry, to get women through the Panama, you know, across the Panama isthmus. There was no canal up into Gold Rush territory. Well, she won't have it, and she follows him. Anyway, there's a bit of a fly in the ointment with this book because my editor, is still waiting for this book. My website's not correct. I have to fix that. Oh. Um, it's not out yet. It's actually sitting on my desk and needs to be finished and published. And the editor's, cl- she's like, just send it to me. I'll- we'll just get started. And I'm like, no, I want to do this. And I want to, you know how writers can be. There's four yes. or five things to fix. It's a long book and it's got a lot of love stories in it and it I love that book it's my family's favorite of the whole, all everything I've ever written. So everybody's like when are you going to get this book out? But uh I rescued three feral cats in January. They tripped me and I broke my arm <laughs> in three places. So I haven't been able to type until actually this week is the first week since January that I'm actually able now to move my arm and type. Oh my God. So I've been a little, I know, it's been a heck of a year.
0: That's amazing. It sounds almost like it's a saga, is it? If there's a lot of characters.
1: Yes, it is. It definitely is. It's very different from my other books, except that my books always have the strong love interest and I adhere to a three-act structure that's like film-like. I mean, a lot of people say to me, my books are like watching a movie where where they're tight and you feel the progress within the book, particularly as the love stories develop.
0: Look, we've got a new thing that we're just starting on the podcast called encore and it's for authors who've been on the podcast before talking about their latest release and that sounds like one when it finally hits the shelves that I'd love to do a, a little and a slightly shorter encore interview on because it's just the sort of thing I love. Well
1: I would be very happy about that and my editor would be thrilled.
0: <laughs> <She laughs> would mean it's me finished. I <laughs>
1: yes exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Turning away from the specific books to talk a little bit about your wider career, if beginner writers ask you for advice about how to get started as a published author, what do you say to them?
1: Do do you mean as a published author or how to get started writing?
0: How to get started when they're just beginning and they want to get started but published?
1: Well, I, I think the most important thing, and this is probably what every author on your podcast says is to get the butt in the chair at the stand-up desk and get the words on the page. Yes. That's one of the most important things. The other thing is to connect with other authors so you're not gobsmacked by the sense of, oh, there's so much to do or I can't do it. To build your confidence, other authors are very willing to share and help with getting over some of those humps that beginning authors um, often face so I'd say I'd say write and tap into your community. There are lots of local writing communities.
0: Yes, you've got a great one there. I know Barbara is in and she's been on the show. Bella Andre. So you've got some very big names that are close to you, haven't you? I was really fortunate
1: when I started out. Barbara Frethius and Bella Andre and Tina Folsom. And several other A listers were in my writing group. And they were the bicycles out in front for the self publishing move in particular, because they had to figure everything out from scratch. Yeah. It's much different now. And they were very uh, generous in sharing what they knew and the techniques they used. There was a lot of generosity in that early community. Since then, you know, they've gone on to huge careers and they're not as much involved in the local writing group. But the thread continues because other people like me or others, you know, pick it up and and keep it going.
0: Yes. Yeah. Look, this is called The Joys of Binge Reading, and we're starting to come to the end of our time together. So tell us about your own reading habits and anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners.
1: I love time travel, any well written time travel. I'm not sure why I love time travel so much, but I do. And I also love Susanna Kearsley's books. She's wonderful. I don't know if you've had her on your show, but...
0: I haven't her yet, honestly, she's been on my list for years. I But I have read her and I love her too, yes.
1: She's fabulous. Mm. I, I obviously read Joanna Bourne. I read a lot of historicals. Because for some reason, when you're writing contemporary, it's nice to have a break and read the Regency historicals. <clears throat> my main crack is... I, I but it's probably not too interesting to other people is I I absolutely love reading quantum physics. I have a degree in in part of my degree is in astrophysics and I love physics. And so I'll sit down and read about quantum particles and quantum computers and you <laughs> probably I'm have to put it into
0: a <laughs> you'd probably have to put it into a romance series before I could take that. <laughs> well, So
1: everybody's bugging me about this (laughs) because I've done, you know, 30 years of work in the field to make it, you know, to be able to talk about it with people. I mean, for example, one of the meditations I have is there's a particle called a neutrino and a neutrino can pass through 13 miles of lead and never hit anything. (laughs) And sometimes I'll be driving down the road and I'll think, you know, a neutrino wouldn't see any of this. It wouldn't see the road. It wouldn't see the car. It wouldn't see me. There are billions of them passing through you at any moment. And sometimes when people want to get the bigger perspective and just kind of let everything go, you know, the illusion of form and just kind of go, "Woo!" that's kind of a fun thing to think about. But yeah. So, yeah, I read quite a bit of historical fiction. And sometimes I read contemporary, prize-winning books because i I'm part of a local Sonoma County book group. we've been reading quite a few books about refugees. As you can imagine, there's such a crisis now in yes. the world and yes, understanding that, we just finished a book called "The Road to Raqqa, Just what people go through to try to recreate their lives.
0: Yes, yeah. I saw on your website that you were making a bid an appeal for Ukraine a few weeks back, too, yeah.
1: I try it in most of my newsletters. I choose two weeks out of every month, if I can, to give the proceeds from my books to something that's important, whether it's wildfire fires. I did the wildfires in Australia, the koala rescue, back when you had those terrible wildfires. Yeah. Um, the Ukraine, obviously. Yeah,
0: it's wonderful. This next question I ask everyone, but just in the light of our most recent discussion, it has a certain extra edge. Looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing about your creative career that you'd like to change, what would it be?
1: I think I would have gotten out of the office work with the nonprofits a little sooner. Although it's hard to say because if I hadn't done the work at the Academy of Sciences or at Wild Care or at the Marine Mammal Center, I wouldn't know the backstory of so many of these um, important issues. So it's hard to say. And then, you know, you move. It's what is it? One beat of a butterfly wing. If I done that, would I still have met my husband? Would I, you know, there's there's all those things. It's hard yes. to know if you change one thing, what's going to happen. But I would have gotten started sooner.
0: Yes, yeah. Look, do you enjoy interacting with your readers and where can they find you online?
1: I love hearing from readers. I heard from one reader in England after I wrote Throne by Love, which does have an astro- uh, astronomer in it, a woman professor who talks about the stars and there's a little bit of the universe story in that and this woman from England said oh my god I finished that book I went out and I laid down on my grass and I looked at this I looked at the stars and I I just I saw them so differently because one of the meditations is when you look at the stars to realize you're not really looking up, you're looking down.
0: Explain that a little bit more. <laughs> you're, you're laying
1: on the surface of the earth and you're looking down into the stars and you're actually looking down. And it's kind of a mind teaser.
0: Yes. And that's sorry, thrones, just, thrown by love. Everybody's going to run to love, thrown by love now. <laughs> that, that
1: is one of my favorite books. And that is a great introduction for people who don't know anything about baseball and it's just the story of scotty it's, it's really a fun book
0: look pamela that's fantastic we'll have all of the links for these things we've mentioned in the show notes so people can find them there but it's been a real pleasure to talk it really has thanks so much for being with us today
1: thank you for having me jenny it means so much
0: Next week on Binge Reading, Anita Abriel, you know her from her best-selling book, The Light After the War. She's on next week with her new book called The Italian Girl, a World War II story of stolen artworks and romance set in a famous villa in Florence. That's The Italian Girl next week.